Do you believe in ghosts? Well, come with us while we share stories from the most haunted location in Wyoming. The Wyoming Frontier Prison held the worst of the worst throughout the 1900s, but it's been rumored that even in their undead state, past inmates still can't break out of this prison. The Rocky Mountains hold many mysteries. Millions of people enjoy the natural beauty, but some come across the hidden dangers. This is Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. I'm Melanie, here with my friend Becky. The stories we share are remembered by some, but forgotten by many. Let's dive in to Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. Hello, friends. Hope you are all well. I'm so excited to share this story today, or stories today. Thanks for being here with us, and we hope you're enjoying this Halloween season. Yes, we hope everyone's happy and healthy. Thank you so much for joining us for this special Halloween time episode. Throughout the month of October, we will continue to be sharing stories of the unknown. So before we get started into this haunted business, Rocky Mountain Redheaded is growing each week. I know we say it each week, but it's true. So please keep sharing with friends and family. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us out. So just a reminder to make sure you are subscribed and following us on social media. I will put the link tree in our show notes so you can click on that to find us in all the places. So All the places. Yeah, all the places. So many places. So connect with us. <laughs> Before we get started, we'd like to give you a heads up. Today's story contains details that might be difficult for some to hear. Though we always put great care and respect into each of our cases, these true stories do often explore physical violence, sexual violence, familial violence, suicide ideation, and other content that may be upset or triggering to some. Please take a moment to decide what's best for you. If you or someone you know needs help with emotional and or crisis counseling and resources, please dial 988 in the United States. Ask for help. You are not alone. So without further delay, let's get into our frightening episode today, Becky. This is quite the frightening episode. This case is from the great state of Wyoming. The episode is entitled Over Detention, which is actually a legal term for when a prisoner in the Department of Corrections custody is detained past their release time. And these guys definitely are. Well, our prisoners today have been hanging around the Wyoming Frontier Prison for decades. Well, past their release date, right? From prison and from life. Yeah. The story is of the Wyoming Frontier Prison and the spirits that still walk the corridors today. Namely, Andrew Pixley, Melville Davis, and Frank Wigfall. In 1842, gold was discovered on the banks of the Sweetwater River, and we all know what that means. Men. Lots of men looking for their fortune. They poured into Wyoming territory, some alone, some with families, and they set up a temporary home there. Well, some stayed, and along with Mormon settlers, began to make the territory their home. The Wyoming territory could be a ruthless place to live. In fact, Rumor has it that the first man to discover gold along the Sweetwater River was attacked and killed before he made it home. Men cling to the hope of making it rich, and some hated the men who found their fortune. I get it. It's a competitive market, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Panning for gold. <laughs> yep. Wyoming became a state in 1890, and then in 1901, the government made the attempt to settle the Wild West. They poured federal money into these western territories, and they began to build prisons. One of these was Wyoming Frontier Prison, which is located in Rollins, Wyoming. The prison was so successful that the government needed to expand the facility in 1908, adding additional cell blocks and multiple cells. And to the dismay of some, they actually needed a women's unit. Can women, you believe that? Women don't commit crime. Women are 
innocent. Always. Yeah, exactly. The most macabre and most popular feature of this prison was the executions, of course. Well, of course. Yeah. In the early days, the executions were actually a public event. Families from all around gathered in the prison yard to see the arm of justice exercise its strength, which is awful. I would never. <laughs> it was, could, though. It was a big deal. I couldn't do that. Yeah. Like, people would used to gather along and watch executions and then, like, bring their family. Yeah. Have you heard the stories of, like, Gettysburg, where people, like, got out picnic blankets to, like, watch the battle? Can't. I don't think we're nearly as bad watching, like, you know, our Walking Dead. Or, and I guess we listen to a lot of true crime. So true. really it's the same thing. But I can't we just don't want to witness it. Right. right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that is until 1916, when the prison expanded to include an execution chamber. This chamber, unfortunately for the public, made the executions a private event. A gas chamber was, was installed in 1936, and the hangings were discontinued at that time. The Wyoming Frontier Prison is registered on the National Registry of Historic Places. It was in official use from 1901 until 1981, yet some of the inmates just can't seem to leave. Many people have witnessed the spirits of those who died, either executed or murdered at the prison. Whether you choose to believe or not, Wyoming Frontier Prison is officially the most haunted location in the entire state. Here are just a few of the people come in contact with if you plan a tour of the Wyoming Frontier Prison. So first off, Mel, do you want to go with me and visit the Wyoming Frontier Prison? No. No? I don't know. That sounds terrifying. I don't do pre I don't do haunted houses. You don't do I... too, like Alcatraz. Have you done Alcatraz? I haven't done Alcatraz. I could probably do Alcatraz. The That's... Wyoming Frontier Prison, I've never seen it in real life. But it is beautiful. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You, you would go. Oh, I'd 100% go. Absolutely. But do you believe in ghosts? That's the that's the funny thing is not really. <laughs> but still, I don't want to go. So maybe more than I, <laughs> maybe more than I admit. Yeah. Uh-huh. So without further delay, let's meet the inmates who can't seem to leave the old pen, as locals call it. Our first case, Andrew Pixley, who was inmate number 1979 was executed December 10th, 1965, in the gas chamber at Wyoming Frontier Prison. Born Andrew Armadas Benavides on January 29, 1953, in Las Cruces, New Mexico, Pixley had a hard childhood and never quite fell in line at school. His family home was filled with contention, and he dropped out of high school shortly before graduation. Pixley struggled to hold jobs and was fired or just quit going to work very frequently. So he tried the life of a petty thief instead. Yeah, when he was still in his teens, he was arrested for passing bad checks. So after a short jail stay, he decided to give the U.S. Army a try. He served for two years and then returned to his hometown. Hicksley drifted from town to town and then unfortunately went back to a life of crime. A warrant for his arrest was issued for a charge of larceny. So Pixley drifted out of the state. It's pretty easy to get lost back then. You could just go to a different place and no one knew where you were at. Right. Mm -hmm. He ended up in Washington State but fled to Wyoming after being accused of stealing a car in Davenport. Bix Pixley was often called nervous and high-strung. He had an awkward presence and couldn't make friends very easily. Two men, Orville Edwards and David Sterling, were both employed at Upscale, the Ward Hotel in Jackson, Wyoming, and they allowed Pixley to move into their trailer. 
they knew of Pixley's history of crime, but like figured that he was just harmless, right? Yeah. So the Wart Hotel is on the National Register of Historic Places and is rated as a four diamond hotel there in Jackson. In 2015, it was awarded the Condé Nast Traveler's Reader's Choice Award. It first opened its luxurious doors back in 1941 and has been a mainstay in Jackson ever since. This beautiful hotel would be the backdrop to what many people say is the worst crime to ever take place in Wyoming history. Okay, so Mel, guess what? What? I have stayed at the Wart Hotel like quite a few times. Have you? So cool. No, I have not. I've been to Jackson Hole. Yeah. The Wart is beautiful, which is funny because it's a silly name. Right. It's not a silly name, but not a native name you would maybe think of a beautiful hotel but it's gorgeous and i stayed there quite a bit and this was you didn't know about this oh no this is when i was like yeah this is when i was you know still in school and stuff and so when i was like reading this i called my dad i'm like dad did you know about this and he did yeah no he didn't oh he didn't and he like my dad and i would like go and investigate together so okay (laughs) so you told him all about the story yes so he's excited for this episode so dad i love you so if you are in Jackson, go stay at the Wart. You'll love it. And it could be haunted. On the night of August 5th, 1964, just before midnight, Pixley noticed an open window of the Wart Hotel. He quickly climbed a massive stack of wood on the rear exterior wall up to the window, and then he quietly snuck into one of the luxury suites. So Robert McAuliffe, an Illinois circuit judge, had brought his family to Jackson for a late summer vacation. He and his wife and their three children enjoyed the beauties of the Grand Tetons. The married couple wanted to spend some time downstairs at the hotel showroom and maybe, you know, enjoy some drinks at the world-famous Silver Dollar Bar. The children, Debbie was age 12 and Cindy was age 8 and Susan age 6, were tucked in by their parents and then locked safely in the hotel room, or so they thought. The McAuliffe's never thought for a second the children could be in danger. They were just safely sleeping in the comfortable beds of their lavish suite. So this already reminds me of Madeline McCann. Yeah. Don't you think? And I don't know. Some people may think that the parents were being reckless, especially in what, 1964? I don't think that they were being no. reckless at all. Do you, What do you think? What are no, your thoughts? They thought they were just locked up safe. They were just right downstairs. Mm-hmm. And the kids were asleep and yeah. Yeah, so I saw no suggestion in my research that the crime was like premeditated at all. At all. Maybe Pixley saw like an open window and thought he could just rob the room. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if, I don't think that he went in with that intention. I think he just saw an opportunity. You know what I mean? He did so much more damage to this family and the community with the decision he was about to make. Oh, how I wish he never saw that open window. Pixley stepped into the suite and he saw three sleeping children. Debbie and Cindy, 12 and 8, were sexually assaulted. Debbie was killed when she was bludgeoned with a rock while Cindy was beaten and strangled till death. Susan, who was just six years old, was unharmed in the attack. Susan witnessed her older sisters being attacked and murdered. When the McAuliffe's returned after their show, it was just too late to save the two children. They walked into the room and found Pixley still laying on the floor covered in blood. Judge McAuliffe ran and restrained the strange man in their suite while his wife ran to check on the children. I can't imagine walking into that. Ugh, I, I Yeah, I cannot. Officer James Jensen of the Jackson Police Department heard Mrs. McAuliffe's screams from the street downstairs. He ran towards her cries and was the first officer on scene. 
Teton County Attorney Floyd King was quoted, it was the most horrible thing I've ever seen. I, uh, we obviously, we don't cover many children's crime in this, but I feel like the story, it, it really is just the most heartbreaking story that I've come across in Wyoming history. So many people heard the screams and saw the commotion that before too long, Pixley had his own personal mob waiting for him outside of the wart. The word of his crime spread quickly throughout Little Jackson, and its citizens demanded instant justice with a lynching. He was smuggled out of the hotel and was taken to the local jail, but later was moved to the prison, Wyoming Frontier, for his safety during his trial. So many people were like, let's take care of this right now. Right, mm-hmm. which we get. The McAuliffe sisters were buried together, sharing the same small casket. Pixley claimed that he didn't kill the McAuliffe children, yet he was found in their hotel suite covered in blood. Uh, Robert Huffsmith, his court-appointed defense attorney, claimed that Pixley had actually spent the evening with another person, but he couldn't conveniently recall who that individual was. Hmm. No such person came forward during the trial. During the trial, Dr. William Carn Jr. from the Wyoming State Hospital pronounced Pixley to be, quote, an incurable sociopath. He added, quote, it meant a lot to Pixie to kill the girls while they were still awake. After hearing this from Dr. Karn, Judge McAuliffe, who was the girl's father, jumped up from his seat and attempted to attack Pixley. Court employees and gallery attendees were able to restrain the judge before he was able to reach Pixley. Pixley agreed to make a statement on the record after the administration of sodium pentothal, commonly known as truth serum, which it's been a while since we heard about that, right? Oh, it is. Yeah. He claimed he remembered drinking the night of the murders, but nothing more. He could not remember entering the hotel room or attacking and killing the girls. And I don't put any stock into truth serum. Well, I don't know. I have I have actually no clue what my thoughts are on that. But I don't really care if you got so drunk right. that you can't remember. remember. You still did it. Right. But like, you remember enough to know there was someone else with you, but not enough exactly. to know who it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pixley was found guilty and sentenced to death. While the verdict was read in court, he laughed and giggled uncontrollably. On December 10th, 1965, just 15 months after the murders of Susan and Cindy McAuliffe, the Wyoming Frontier Prison began to prepare for Pixley's execution scheduled for midnight. The execution staff changed the window ceiling in the gas chamber. They double-checked all of the mechanics of the machine. Normally, they would, like, grab a chicken and do a test of the gas chamber to check for leaks. So that's crazy that with every single execution, they, like, change the ceiling around the windows, which, I mean, that's pretty smart. But, yeah, that's amazing that they they go through that with every single execution. Mm Mm-hmm. So instead of the chicken that they would normally use, they walked out the front gates of the prison and saw a black cat, Melanie. They grabbed the poor cat and used it as the guinea pig for the test instead of a chicken. The cat died very quickly and they were ready for that evening's execution as scheduled. This is so sad that they kill an animal just to make sure. Just to check it out. That is so sad. Mm Mm-hmm. I bet PETA had a real problem. I know. With that. I would think that PETA was, would be very upset with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just after midnight, Andrew Pixley was brought to the gas chamber. At 12.04 a.m., cyanide pellets were placed into position for the gas chamber. 12.10 a.m., Pixley entered the gas chamber. 12.13 a.m., a stethoscope was attached to Pixley and fed out of the chamber. 
so the physicians could track his heart rate or, you know, lack of heart rate. Right. 12.14 a.m., sulfuric acid is placed into position. 12.15 a.m., the chamber door is locked and into position. 12.15 a.m. and 30 seconds, the cyanide pellets are dropped into place. 12.25 a.m., Pixley is pronounced dead by the doctors. Now, this may sound like pretty standard to us, but Pixley's execution had two very different features. Number one, Pixley laughed hysterically during his minutes in the gas chamber, which is just sickening. That's creepers. Yeah, he laughed until he took his final breath. And number two, get this now, he took almost twice as long as normal to die. The average gas chamber execution took between three and four minutes after the cyanide pellets were dropped. And Pixley took almost 10 minutes. His execution took the longest in Wyoming state history. Some believe it takes longer to kill true evil. We will post a link to a YouTube video by Courage TV that talks about Pixley and it actually gives a tour of the actual gas chamber that killed him in 1965. Okay, loved this video. Super interesting. It was like a great video. In fact, the video interviews two museum employees that tell of ghostly encounters they have experienced at the Wyoming Frontier Prison. Visitors of the Wyoming Frontier Prison have said that they can occasionally hear Pixley's maniacal laughter coming from the gas chamber. Some have said they can hear the crying of young girls. That is terrible. Yeah. Also, the black cat that was used for the testing of the gas chamber is known to roam the corridors of the prison. Visitors have also heard the cat's cries echo up and down the cell blocks. I read another source that, like, guests who have toured the museum think that there is a black cat as like a mouser and they're like no uh-uh, it's it's a ghost crazy huh oh my gosh i like i said i must believe in them more than i think i do i think i do so. not want to go you guys melanie's like kind of want to go but this sounds so creepy melanie's full on creeped out right now i wish you could see her face <laughs> we might need to go just so that we can talk let's take a quick break okay. Rocky Mountain Red Handed is brought to you by Balance of Nature. I love my Balance of Nature. I take it every morning and it makes me feel so good. I do not like to eat vegetables, so I take my Balance of Nature to be able to get in the nutrients that I need. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code REDHANDED for 35% off your first order. We call it three and three. I take my three capsules of veggies, three capsules of fruits, and it gives me all I need. So that's Balance of Nature, promo code REDHANDED. And we are back. Melanie, can you can you move on? I can move on. You okay? I think so. <laughs> Thank you to our sponsors. Mel, what's our next spooky case about? Oh, skip to page. Well, our next inmate, prisoner 1935, was sentenced to life in prison at Wyoming Frontier Prison for second-degree murder. He has served more than life in prison as he has known to haunt old pen. Maybe he will serve for eternity. Mm. Melville Davis was born in March of 1891 in Hannah, Wyoming to William B. and Gwendolyn Davis. Both of his parents were born in Wales and immigrated to the U.S. They made their way west to find a good settlement for their family and they wanted a settlement with coal mining. That's what their family was familiar with. The family temporarily left Wyoming for Colorado, specifically to Cripple Creek, in hopes of finding their fortune in gold mining, along with everyone else. Right. Yeah. 
So Davis was one of 11 children and he had an older sister named Annie and she served as like a second mother to him. She was 15 years older than him and was really dedicated to her family and helping out her younger siblings. Annie married a man named Frank Ryder and they had six children and made their home in Fort Still, Wyoming. That's a lot of kids. Yeah, that is a lot of kids. One day in 1912, Annie saw a man walking toward their home, the home she shared with her husband, Frank Ryder, and she realized it was her younger brother, Melville. Frank, Annie's husband, was away with Union Pacific working on a project as a bridge tender. So Annie was home just caring for her six children alone. Yeah, Annie had no idea of the condition that her brother had been in the last few months. He was having like some peculiar behavior and it had alarmed like the people around him for months. Just before leaving to see his sister, Davis had set fire to the boarding house he had been staying at in Superior, Wyoming. So I wonder if, like, at first glance, if wonder if Annie picked up that her brother was unwell. Unwell. You know what I mean? Like, emotionally, mentally. Right. I wonder if she could have, like, sensed that he was dangerous in this moment and how dangerous he was about to become. Oh, Davis had always been known as odd. During his trial, many people testified of his peculiar behavior over the years. I'm talking like family doctors, family friends, family. They all testified that he was just kind of a weirdo, right? That he had not shown any like signs of violence or anything. Like a lot of people are weird, but they're harmless. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. While he stayed with his sister, he gave his 13-year-old niece too much attention. Creeper. Yes. Annie warned her brother to leave the girl alone. Yet he, like, just couldn't seem to help himself. He continued to harass her, even making suggestive remarks in which some of the neighbors overheard. So Davis tried to kiss Bessie. Again, she's a 13-year-old child. And his niece. And his niece, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yet the girl was able to escape his grasp, luckily. Bessie ran to her mother, and Annie was mad. She scolded her brother and said she would not stand for his poor morals in her home. I mean, she's just being a great mom. Humiliated and angry, Davis ran to a different room in the house and was able to find a gun. He aimed for Annie and her daughter, and without any hesitation, he just pulled the trigger. Believe it or not, the gun actually misfired, which gave Annie the few seconds needed to tell her daughter to run for her safety. Again, she's just being a great mom. Annie ran behind her daughter, kind of following her, and Melville followed behind them. So it's kind of like a little chase. Bessie was able to steal a glance of her mother behind her while she ran from her uncle. She looked back just in time to see Davis strike her mother with what she thought was a board of some type. It wasn't a board. It was an axe. Annie was nearly decapitated by her own brother. She was just 35 years old and left behind a husband and six children. Just a day after Annie's murder, a letter arrived addressed to Annie from her own father. He had written the correspondence as a warning to Annie and her family. He warned her to be cautious of her own brother, and it came the day after. I mean, I doubt that we'd even be like telling the story if the mail had just come one day earlier. She might have been prepared and not even let her in his home. Yeah, I mean, she could have taken her kids and went to a neighbor's to stay, you know, just one day earlier. So a search began for Melville, and he was discovered and captured near Fort Steele. He hadn't been able to travel very far at all. On December 5th, 1912, in the Natrona County Tribune, 
An article headline read, quote, Kills sister with axe. Slayer cowers in his cell as mob awaits. Father's warning came too late to save the life of a mother of six little ones. Cowering in his cell in jail, in object fear of being lynched by vigilantes who only await a verdict that the man is sane before handing out summary punishment. Melville Davis, who slew his sister, Mrs. Frank Ryder, at Fort Steele, is already a wreck of his former rugged self. Continuing the quote, One moment he waves his arms yelling in angered tones, the next he begs his keepers to give him a knife or a gun with which to end his miserable life. With curses mingled with pitiful pleadings to his God to forgive him of his crime and incessantly crying out his sister's name, Davis paces the floor of his cell. Melville Davis was sentenced to life in prison for second-degree murder. He lived out the next 25 years as an inmate at Wyoming Frontier Prison. He ended his life in a dramatic fashion with an old pen. On an official prisoner report dated on September 28, 1938, it reads, quote, Melville Davis committed suicide by jumping off the first gallery onto the cement floor, striking his head, which caused death. Visitors of the Wyoming Frontier Prison have said that they can hear Davis's screams as he jumped to his death in the first gallery. Others say they can hear him beg for a cigarette. Okay, so normally we do not post pictures of our perpetrators in any of these cases. We try and be very respectful of that and not post their pictures. We did decide to make an exception in this case. So if you check out our social medias, you will see the faces of our three perpetrators. Because if you would go and visit the prison, we want you to keep an eye out for them. you got to keep an eye out for these guys. Stay yeah. away. We want you to see their faces. They've all passed on, and so we thought we would we would share it with you. And I'll tell you this is that Melvin Davis is known to have a super creepy look. And he does. He's super creepy. So go check out those socials. Yeah, Melville Davis and his sister Annie Ryder are both buried in the Rollins City Cemetery. I don't think that Miss Annie's going to be very happy about that. I don't I don't know. That's just so sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a terrible story. So um, let's take a sponsor break. Give your brain the natural nutrients, blood flow, and neurotransmitter support it needs to make the fight with depression an unfair fight. Get stronger daily with Whole Supplement. Build momentum each day with the Whole Depression Relief Stack the three targeted daily formulas that will help you feel, enjoy, and progress again. So, how do you take the whole stack? One, wake up formula. Take wake up in the morning with a glass of water to kick off your day with motivation and energy. Number two is the daytime formula. Take daytime around lunch to ensure you have the focus, mood, and productivity to power through the day. That sounds like something we all need. Number three, the sleep it off formula. Take Sleep It Off about an hour before you plan to go to sleep for amazing rest and brain support that will consistently set you up for better days. I've experienced depression since I was a teen. I try to do my best to take care of my mental and emotional health and manage my anxiety and depression. But even with medication, I can find myself struggling some days. I started taking Whole Supplement just a couple weeks ago, and I already feel like I am giving my body the armor it needs to win the fight each and every day. The ingredients in whole supplements have been used for hundreds of years. They just haven't been put together this way to help people struggling with depression. There are no proprietary blends and no hidden ingredients in whole supplement. 
So here's Adam Steer, founder and CEO of Whole Supplement. I started Whole Supplement with the mission to help others who, like myself, have struggled with finding relief from depression and anxiety. Our number one goal is to empower everyone we can to make meaningful progress every single day. So now is the time to take care of your emotional and mental health. During the pre-launch offer, you can receive the entire Whole Depression Relief Stack at 15% off. Go to wholesupplement.com and use code ROCKYMOUNTAIN. Again, go to wholesupplement.com and use coupon code ROCKYMOUNTAIN. Simplify your fight with the Whole Stack from Whole Supplement. Thank you again to our sponsors. Okay, so we're going to get to our last story about Wyoming Frontier Prison. Our last inmate of all pen is inmate number 570, Frank Wigfall. Wigfall was born in South Carolina. The year is like somewhat of a mystery. His birthday has been listed as April 15, 1862, yet a 1920 U.S. federal census actually lists his birth year as 1872. So in all likelihood, he was probably a child of like slave workers in South Carolina. Frank had a wanderlust and found himself in Wyoming in his early 20s, probably, depending on we what don't year know. Was actually yeah. yeah, so all the dates on this one is kind of like shifted by a decade or so. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think I was born in 1990, you know, instead of 1980. Doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so on April 9th, 1901, or whatever, <laughs> he was arrested on the charge of assault with intent to kill over a stabbing in Till Ashford Saloon in Cheyenne, Wyoming. The assault had many witnesses, and Ollie Buckley, the man that was stabbed, was a local troublemaker. He was stabbed by Wigfall with a pocket knife just centimeters above his heart. Buckley spent many weeks at the county hospital in recovery. Frank was arrested, convicted, and sentenced to 18 months at Wyoming Frontier Prison. After his release, Wigfall eventually made his way to Laramie and became familiar with a Mrs. Krupa and her 12-year-old daughter. On January 21st, 1904, he-ish, 1904-ish, <laughs> he was accused, charged, and arrested for the crime of the attentive rape of the child, Helen. Wigfall pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 14 years in Wyoming Frontier Prison, which at the time was the maximum sentence. Yeah, Frank became quite comfortable at the prison and slowly climbed the ladder of respectable positions in the prison. He began as like a broom maker, then he worked at the kitchen, which actually was kind of a sought-after job at the prison. Because, I mean, we're talking Wyoming. Right. In the winter. This is a stone building with no heating, nothing like that. So... It was, it was lucky if you got assigned the kitchen because it was like the one warm place in the entire prison. Lastly, he worked as a personal waiter and porter at the warden's private residence, which was off of prison grounds. And just so you know, because I've interested. heard porter. Do you know what a porter is? Yeah. You do? Yeah, like someone before your luggage. Huh. Yeah, the way to go. Every once in a while, I know. Fancy Nancy? Nancy? I was like, I've heard of a porter. I knew, but I, yeah. So it's someone who like carries around stuff. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this was actually a very prestigious position among the prisoners, which makes sense if you're going off prison mm -hmm. grounds. And staying in like a nice house. Yeah. yeah. Warden Felix Alston stated in a parole statement, quote, Wigfall has been a perfect prisoner, will finish a 14-year sentence on the 28th of April, 1912. And as far as behavior is concerned here, it could not be better. He has been working for a few weeks, doing porter work for me, a good, respectable, and gentlemanly as one can meet. 
So, you know, he had a good reputation. He had good work behavior. He was, you know, friendly to be around. Frank Wickfall did not have a miserable time at Wyoming Frontier Prison. You know, many prisoners had a much worse experience. The prison was freezing, uncomfortable, no running water, no electricity, no heat. It was crawling with pests. It sounds dreadful. Yet the inmates had a weekly ray of sunshine that graced their prison home each week. All of the prisoners looked forward to a visit from a sweet local woman. Her name was Miss Jane Higgins, and she was commonly known as Granny Higgins. Okay, this lady is like what I want to be with. I want, yeah. So at 76 years old, she would carefully prepare homemade fruit pies made lovingly from scratch. She would pack up the pies and walk down to the prison and distribute the desserts to prisoners once a week. Can you imagine what those pies meant to those inmates? Oh, I'm sure so much. I mean, what a sweet lady, right? Are you going to be Granny Becky? I would love to be Granny Becky, for sure. On April 15, 1912, due to good time earned, Wigfall was released a few days prior to schedule and made his home locally in Rollins. Then on September 30th, 1912, during the late evening hours, a tragedy took place in Rollins. Granny Higgins' home was broken into with an axe right through the front door. She was attacked and violently raped. Remember, she is 76 years old. Her attacker, who was positively identified as Wigfall, escaped through a broken window, leaving the elderly woman to crawl to a neighbor's house for help. Is that terrible? So sad. She was just trying to bring, like, some light into these men's lives. Yeah. Tough to go through that because of it. So sad. The Rollins community reacted quickly as word spread, and within hours, Wigfall was captured at Fort Steele and returned to Rollins, which is about a 17-mile trip by train. The community hummed with anger, and many gathered around the jail in hopes of, like, overtaking it and lynching Wigfall then and there. No trial needed for justice. Yeah, Wyoming's all about, like, taking care of their own, right? Take it into your hands. Mm -hmm. The situation became so intense that the mob had left the jail temporarily to get a battering ram. A battering ram! They're not messing around. To break down the door of the jail. Thinking quickly, Sheriff Campbell and Undersheriff Mills were able to sneak him out of the jail and run to the nearby Wyoming Frontier Prison. Wickfall was placed in a receiving cell and just made himself at home. Word spread around the prison and a fellow inmate, who was an acquaintance of Wickfall, knew from his prior stay at Wyoming Frontier Prison, actually came to visit him. The inmate was a man named Rich, and he stated that Wigfall wasn't worried about his crime. Yeah, apparently Wigfall said he, you know, wasn't worried about any time he would need to be serving because he had such a great time serving before. It wasn't a big deal. He kind of assumed that he'd go back to the warden's private residence. He said, quote, if I get one year, five year or 14 years, why, I can do that easy. Oh my gosh. Word spread of Wigfall's attack and rape of the deer granny higgins and the prisoners were very angry over her mistreatment like she's the one person who's treating them seriously yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. she was a sweet old lady 76 years old and she had the decency to think of these prisoners each week and lovingly prepare her homemade fruit pies walk them down to the prison and deliver them to these men that felt forgotten by society well these prisoners had their own idea of justice i can only imagine how they must have been yeah for sure yeah 
So get this, 35 to 40 men overpowered the cell house guard, John Neal, and they captured Wigfall. Guard David Brinton noticed Wigfall being taken up the stairs with a rope around his neck. Brinton ran to, the, ran to sound the alarm, and by the time he returned to the stairs, he witnessed Wigfall hanging from the rope. He was dead, obviously, hanged by his own fellow prisoners. Right. A warning had been issued throughout the prison to inmates and prisoners. Quote, the first man that squeals is the next man hung. So no prisoners were identified in Wigfall's murder. That is until 1994. I think this is so interesting. So an anonymous prisoner's diary was discovered and donated to the Friends of the Old Penitentiary in Rollins. The unknown author recorded the entire incident he witnessed firsthand. He is seriously the only prisoner or guard to ever identify the prisoners who forced Wigfall over the railing and to his death. So we've got like a firsthand account here, which is crazy. So it says, quote, a small bunch of men came in the outside door as though they were about a half hour late for dinner and hungry as wolves. And they were late and hungry as wolves, but not for dinner. The little delegation was made up of such gentlemen as Burke, Paseo, Howard, Brink, and Elliot. Quote, they were mad as though to continue their way through the kitchen into the cell house and wigfall. The rope was dumped from the can and thrown out onto the floor where the kinks were run out. The keys were in turn snatched from the hand of Burke and the door Wigfall's cell unlocked in a twinkling. Yeah, continuing, Wigfall could be seen cowering in the farthest corner. He was instantly grasped and yanked out through the door where the rope was thrown in a double half hitch about his neck. From the time when he was pulled from the cell, he never had an opportunity to stand still. The outfit went at double quick time towards the stairs to the galleries. Continuing quote, Wigfall was closed only in a nightshirt, they went up the stairs to the top gallery and stopped at the place where previously a man committed suicide by jumping off the gallery. Sound familiar? Interesting. Yeah. Wigfall was ordered to jump off the gallery, but didn't seem anxious to obey. He was menaced by a knife in the hand of Paseo. He asked that he be allowed time in which to pray. He was told that if he could make it short enough that he would have time to offer a prayer while making the descent. He was forced over the railing and he went down hand over hand like a sailor. Continuing quote, he dropped and caught the railing on the gallery below. He was instantly dislodged from there by one of the party who had gone downstairs to forestall such a move. He fell to the end of the rope. He was then drawn up by those at the top and dropped the entire distance again a few minutes later. What? So they let him fall, hoisted him back up, and then dropped him again. They were mad. Yeah, and like we kind of previously mentioned, the prisoner that they mentioned who had died by suicide by jumping off this same ledge was in fact Melville Davis mm -hmm. from the previous story we told you. So it is said that Wigfall's cruel laughter can be heard in his different cells at Wyoming Frontier Prison and his pleas for help and the yells of the other prisoners can be heard as you climb the stairs of the prison gallery. Also, some claim to smell the sweet smell of Granny Higgins' pies drifting through the air from time to time. So, Mel, our resident skeptic, what do you think? True or imagination? I mean, I think I've kind of given my answer. I want to say I don't believe in them, but I'm terrified to go, so probably believe it. What about you? Oh, I believe it. I know you do. <laughs> 
But you know what I was thinking though, is that like, I wish I could, and I looked for it in the research. Um, these local newspapers did such a good job covering these cases. But I looked and looked and I wanted to see if I could find a statement from Granny Higgins and I never was able to because she did survive that brutal, brutal attack and she is buried there, Rollins as well. Goodness. So. I I do feel like we have to go and visit at some point and take recorders with us. And, and yeah. And terrifying. Yeah. I, we, that, need to, we need to go on a Rocky Mountain redheaded like road, road trip. trip. That would be We'll just be like, bye, husbands. Yeah, here's the kids. We're going to go and visit all these <laughs> creepy places. Man, I won't even go into a haunted house. So I don't do haunted houses either, though. I don't like jump scares. I don't like anything like that, for sure. So I won't go to a haunted house, but I would definitely go to a haunted prison. Oh, my gosh. But a haunted house is just people dressed up. A haunted prison is like ghosts. That's scary. I do have like a phobia. and I've had it since I was little. And I like have a really strong reaction don't ever chase me. Oh. I hate being, even in like joking, even in jest. Yeah. I hate being chased. It scares me. Even my kids. Interesting. My oldest 18, Maddox, he loves to tease me. And like he knows he can't tease me about that because it scares me to death. I hate being chased. So interesting. Why did I know you rat? Rat? <laughs> No, you've, you've actually told me that before because we were, really? we were going to run a race together and it was oh. cops and robbers. And you're like, I can't be a robber because I don't want people chasing me. It's like so a told phobia. Yeah. I forgot I told you that. Yeah. <laughs> so now we have a fantastic Rocky Mountain Redemption for you. And it comes straight from Wyoming Frontier Prison Museum. This is so cool. Well, history is so important to preserve and you can help support the prison museum by renting a cell in the historic cell block A at the Wyoming Frontier Prison. How cool is that? So it will only cost you $10 a week. This fundraiser helps support the museum. And let's be honest, that's just really fun. Mm-hmm. The museum will post your name, your real name or an alias if you would like. Rocky Mountain Red-Handed has made a donation. So if you visit the prison, you will see our names there. That's So if you go and visit, you'll see Rocky Mountain Red-Handed as the sponsor for a week or two. So if you'd like, you can donate to this awesome cause. We have a link in our show notes and we can post it on social media as well. So go support Old Pen. Yes. And that is our Rocky Mountain Redemption for the week. Don't forget to visit the Wyoming Frontier Prison Museum there in Rollins, Wyoming. They provide tours seven days a week from May through September, and they're hosting some very special Halloween tours as well. So go check it out. How cool is that, right? Thanks for listening today, and we want to remind you to follow us on our social medias. Just click on our link tree. You can find us at all the places. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. So we will be back next Wednesday with another Halloween time story to tell you straight from the Rocky Mountains. So until then... Keep your hands clean.